Welcome to this shifting moment. This is a podcast in which we're seeking a profound shift in the way that we react to things. We do that through weekly discussions and twice weekly readings and responses from some of the great thinkers and spiritual writers. And my name is Richard, and I'm a spiritual coach and a mindfulness teacher with over 20 years of experience in treatment and private practice. And my name is Josh, and I'm an ordained pastor and a writer with a history of directing spiritual communities. We want you to be a part of everything that we do. We look forward to hearing your thoughts and suggestions. Please contact us at 424-341-3860 and follow us on This Shifting Moment on Instagram and Facebook. The people that were that were really challenged were people, it was mostly they were struggling with, um, they were older people struggling with being around younger people. And uh, lack of respect, you know, the constant vaping and the constant cuss words and the constant this and the constant that. And um, they felt um, unheard, unlistened to. And um, I see this a lot. And uh, I have a couple of clients at resolutions too that really believe that um, treatment isn't just about drug and alcohol treatment. And some of the people are struggling with mental health. <clears throat> and um, they find themselves in group environments where it winds up all being about drug and alcohol. And there is no treatment environment for just mental health uh, without it being in the dark ages, you know, without it being like... Um, Asylum level, like people drooling on themselves and people struggling with schizo schizophrenia and, and hearing voices and blah. But it does. There's very little treatment environment that just deals with people struggling with depression or or anxiety. And so it's really hard to sit in a group um, with you know with what you know with what your issue is when all you hear about is twenty something year olds talking about. Right. Yeah. No, I, I dealt with that because I was kind of in between when I went to treatment. So I was not, I'm, you know, in my thirties. So it wasn't, I wasn't on like the Gen Z 18 year old to 22 year old, you know, vaping all the time, that, that kind of thing. And I wasn't in the, you know, I'm, I'm 50 plus and I've seen a few things and this is maybe my seventh time in rehab or whatever, or, you know, just, just more established and everything. And yeah, it was, um, it was difficult for those two to, to counteract. And we did like almost everything in that treatment environment was group sessions and stuff. And so there was no avoiding it. Like you just, you were always with whoever you were with. Then it wasn't, you didn't get to pick the groups and they were just kind of randomly assigned. And, but one of the coolest things I saw happen through that was, you know, you'd see like seven days into the new guy's journey or something. He would begin to sort of, the older guy, it would usually be like, you know, sort of mentory, big brothery, fatherly relationship with one of the younger guys, because inevitably the, the, I think what did it was that they were also cohabitating. So we were all in the same sort of living quarters. Um, but yeah, ultimately, if I think it was just the groups that they were in, I think they would have been at odds all the time because there's no sort of like 
after sort of decompression or actually getting to know the person. Well, <laughs> a lot of these people do live in a suburb oh, together. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it is it isn't like they're completely divorced and and what the issue is is they they can't get away from it. You know, they can't get away from the chitter chatter and the cussing and the constant vaping and the the constant like this, like you know, just all the and it so they they want their quiet time. You know, they they want their their space, and it's it's really difficult for people to get space when their schedules are are really structured. And it's one of the things that I've found problematic about treatment too is that that sometimes we create an environment that isn't that's not going to really mimic um, what people are going to be dealing with when they go home. Um, one of the things that I get a lot in my sessions is people dealing with boredom and, um, and people drink over boredom. People, uh, have suicide ideation over boredom. They, it, panic attacks, it's, you know, depression can be spiked in the middle of boredom. And that's why I think, you know, developing a relationship with boredom and loneliness and, and that restlessness that happens inside feeling like you need to be doing something. And so it's developing a relationship with that quiet time that, that can be really hard for a lot of people. And, um, and that's what I saw a lot today of. And it's, um, and so sometimes people, so it, it, really my work today was just being a mm. good listener. Mm. Well, I think it's also, you know, it's unique from your perspective because you're a 70 year old man who can like kind of speak into that with them and everything. And I think there's something to be said about, you know, just in general, like there's the stuff about like, you know, respect your elders, like mind, like that kind of stuff that's not talked about anymore and everything. And I think we live in a culture that is so ageist and it's like the one thing we don't really talk about, which is that like, you know, that I, my dad went through it like just a couple of years ago when he was looking for a new job and this is even just in a church space he's a pastor and because he was like you know close to 60 he couldn't find like any any you know churches that were hiring they all told him we're looking for someone who's like 35 and has a family <laughs> and and that's you know it's so unfortunate because he's a guy with so much wisdom and, and could really thrive in those spaces um but there's like a a strange like built-in sort of ageist vibe to our culture that uh yeah, it's really unsettling. And in those treatment environments and early recovery and everything, when you're a hair trigger for everything, that's uh, that's something that's got to flare up like immensely. Yeah, it, you know? it is. It's, you know, and, and not only that, but there's not a lot of male therapists, you know, and yeah. um, you know, me coming from a spiritual perspective is actually pretty, pretty unusual. And um but uh um yeah that was that was kind of my day i mean there you know it's it's um there's a lot of people struggling out there today you know a lot of people having you know darker thoughts and feelings of hopelessness and and again one of the things that i talk about in the book that i'm working on is you know maybe we could find some labels for depression that are not so clinical so pathological and I broke that down for somebody today, and it was kind of revelatory to them. They, it's like, wow, oh, it's maybe so. Maybe it's not just this pathology that I'm dealing with. Maybe, maybe it is me having some loneliness, or maybe extreme lethargy. You know, 
And, and there are different solutions to that because when we slap a, a clinical label on it, it feels like there's only one way to address it. Um, and, there, and, and if we start to break it down into lethargy and loneliness and, and even hopelessness or sadness, I mean, I think that feels a little more human. It feels a little bit more workable. And if you say that to somebody that you're spending time with or one of your loved ones, it feels it feels more manageable. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that that's something that definitely comes from a spiritual perspective. And that's why that spiritual work is so mm-hmm. vital is because, yeah, that's that's kind of getting to the core of who you are rather than sticking a label on you and saying, this is who you mm-hmm. are. <laughs> you know, and I think those diagnoses are helpful, but they're not they're not your identity. They're not really who you are. And uh, the spiritual work is, is much more about like, let's actually get, let's get to know you exactly. <laughs> and let's get you in a rhythm and a pattern. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of stuff is challenging for people because people do come into treatment with um, a lost sense of self, uh, I mm. think. And um, one of the, we, one of the ways that we get, get a sense of self is, by some of the groups that we're engaged in and some of the people that we meet. And um, if we don't feel like we're meeting people that are um, of comparable life experience, it can be really difficult. Right, right. But Anna, have you seen though, being there over like a long period of time that like, would you say it's actually helpful for those two sort of generations to kind of be in the same space or would you say like long term it's it's well i ultimately I, more difficult i certainly <laughs> don't think that they should be segregated that's for sure right um right. but i but i do see that there is a challenge for it mm-hmm. and i don't think it's something that's necessarily addressed in treatment uh, to me mm-hmm. i would like to see it addressed in treatment mm-hmm. and I th- yeah i mean i think the benefit there could be that there is you, you could have certain spaces where people could just have that space and i think that's important mm-hmm. and i think there are young people who would enjoy that space too it's just you know uh, there's not much room for that in the heavy schedule of like a treatment environment but i can tell you from being in treatment multiple times coming out of it i really don't remember because your brain is so scrambled <laughs> i really you don't you don't hold on to a lot but what you do hold on to is those in-between times. So the time I went to go see a lecture, I can't tell you what the lecture was about, but I do remember the walk I had right. around the who, pond. Like, who you were hanging out with. and Exactly. And, those, and like the group. Those afterwards. are the moments. Yeah. And I think that's, I really honestly believe that, you know, as much of treatment happens before it begins and after it ends. That's, yeah. you know, and, and the breaks in between, you know, and who you're eating lunch with. And I think that's, that's, you know, really important. And uh, I, I don't know, I just, you know, it's just my experience is that, that I see that um, there's some learning that could happen. And I, I think it's, I think it's missed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's on both sides. The older people could certainly help the younger people out and the younger people could kind of help the older people out with technology and their insight mm-hmm. and their you know, I mean, there's a lot of give and take, I think, that could happen. And I think it's unfortunate that it's um, that we don't encourage people to help one another a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you're there. I mean, the whole the whole thing that's going to 
keep you going and give you meaning and purpose as kind of being of service. And if you kind of framed it like that for both of those groups, it, I mean, you're absolutely in service yeah. to each other. It's, it's a mutual benefit. I mean, I mean there are people who've been, I mean, if, if there's an older person who's really needing space, it'd be great if they could explain how that's valuable to somebody who might, might be younger, you know, and, and, and uh, I think a younger person could help somebody you know, learn how to use like social media in a way that might be entertaining or fun for them, you know, um, or I mean, a lot of people, you know, I tell people about the podcast and they're over a certain age and they go, I don't even, I don't even know what that is. What's that? (laughs) And so, I mean, it's, I think it's important to kind of, when you're around people they're you know, sometimes we make assumptions that everybody around us knows what we know and is, has the same experience that we have and and they don't you know and some some of the things that we really enjoy doing um might be enjoyable to somebody else and they just aren't aware of it or you know maybe there's a life lesson that somebody who's a little bit older could pass on um because everybody's going to get older and it's it's really uh kind of helping to nudge people along a little bit I think you have that incredible reading on uh, on aging and, and embracing that. And, and I'll do, who is that by? Do you remember what I'm talking about? It's um, it was in your book when we were kind of reading through it the other day, and it's about like uh, how you know uh, older people should like embrace that role in their eldership and um, that kind of thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea. I'm on a complete oh. I can't believe that. I thought that would be like right there on you. Um, yeah. I, I have so oh, many readings. Check the show notes. I have so <laughs> I many readings. So I can't. Much. It was mind blowing to me and I can't. But basically the, the whole premise behind it was sort of like um, aging well it is is such a, uh, it's such, it, if you're if you're in any sort of wisdom tradition. Oh, Jack, sort of Korn, Jack Cornfield. Yes. Yeah. Jack there, Cornfield. It there it is. You want me, you ding, want me to pull it up? I would love that. Yeah, yeah, because I think that would really center this whole conversation because it, it, it kind of outlines what I think, you know, th- that older generation really has to offer to that younger generation. And the younger generation kind of has to listen to that. So this, <clears throat> this is written by Jack Kornfield. I believe it's from his book, um, um, The Wise Heart, I believe it is called. <clears throat> and it goes like this. It's called D- Did I Love Well? And Jack Kornfield is... Um, a real renowned Buddhist author. He's also a psychotherapist and he's also in his mid seventies. So, um, and he's, he's like, yeah, he's responsible in large part for bringing sort of a lot of, Buddhism a lot West. of Buddhism West. He and, <laughs> right. he and Pema Chodron probably would be some of the top people. Um, and so the reading goes like this in undertaking a spiritual life. What matters is simple. We must make certain that our path is connected with our heart. Many other visions are offered for us in the modern spiritual marketplace. Great spiritual traditions offer stories of enlightenment, bliss, knowledge, divine ecstasy, and the highest possibilities of the human spirit. Out of the broad range of teachings available to us in the West, often we are attracted to these glamorous and most extraordinary aspects. While the promise of attaining such states can come true, And while these states do represent the teachings in one sense, 
They are also the advertising techniques of the spiritual trade. They are not the goal of the, of the spiritual life. In the end, spiritual life is not a process of seeking or gaining some extraordinary condition or special power. In fact, such seeking can take us away from ourselves. If we're not careful, we can easily find the great failures of, moder of our modern society, its ambition, its materialism, and its individual isolation repeated in our spiritual life. In beginning a genuine spiritual journey, we have to stay much closer to home, to focus directly on what's right here in front of us. The teachings are about finding a path with heart. They're about undertaking a path that transforms and touches us in the center of our being. And to do so is to find a way of practice that allows us to live in the world wholly and fully from the heart. When I ask, am I following a path with heart? We discover that no one can define for us exactly what our path should be. Instead, we must allow the mystery and the beauty of this question to resonate within our being. And then somewhere within us, an answer will come and understanding will arise. If we are still and we listen deeply, even for a moment, we will know if we are following a path with heart. It is possible to speak with our heart directly. Most ancient cultures know this. We can actually converse with our heart as if it were a good friend. In modern life, we have become so busy with our daily affairs and thoughts that we have forgotten this essential art of taking time to converse with our heart. When we ask it about our current path, we must look at the values that we have chosen to live by. Where do we put our time, our strength, our creativity, our love? We must look at our life without sentimentality, without exaggeration or idealism. Does what we are choosing reflect what we most deeply value? The things that matter most in our lives are not fantastic or grand. They are the moments when we touch one another, when we are there in the most caring and attentive way. This simple and profound intimacy is the love that we all long for. These moments of touching and being touched can become a foundation for a path of with heart, and they, may, and they take place in the most immediate and direct way. Mother Teresa put it this way, in this life, we cannot do great things. We can only do small things in a great way. We judge ourselves so harshly. Many of us discover that we have little mercy for ourselves. We can hardly acknowledge that genuine love and goodness shine freely from our hearts, yet it does. To live a path with heart means to live in a way that allows the flavor of goodness to permeate our life. When we bring full attention to our acts, when we express our love and we see the preciousness of life, the quality of goodness in us grows. In the stress and complexity of our lives, we may forget our deepest intentions. But when people come to the end of their life and they look back, the questions that they most often ask are not usually how much is in my bank account or how many books did I write. Or what did I build? Or the like. If you have the privilege of being with a person who is aware at the time of his or her death, you find the questions that such a person asks are very simple. Did I love well? 
Did I live fully? Did I learn to let go? These simple questions go to the center of the spiritual life. When we consider loving well and living fully, we can see the ways that our attachments and our fears have limited us, and we can see the many opportunities for our hearts to open. So I don't know if that was about the aging process, but it certainly was. I think it pertained to the way we live our lives. And I think that's kind of what we're, what we're talking about is like, am I, am I engaging with my life in a way that has integrity? And and again, if you're doing the values work, really what it comes down to is that that reading is kind of, for me, the glue that holds all this together because it's, um, I'm reminded of my, uh, I guess you call him my poncho. He's, um, he's Chelsea's grandfather, but he, uh, he wasn't Chelsea's like, uh, biological grandfather. He was actually like, um, the adopted grandfather. Uh, and his story is insane. Like he was just a, a really jovial sort of salt of the earth guy, always the life of the party. Um, but what impressed me even more is, uh, Chelsea's mom, uh, and this is all, it's a story that's all out there. And I've said it in sermons and stuff. So this isn't me betraying any confidence or anything, but Chelsea's mom was adopted at an early age. And when she had her kids, she was curious about, you know, uh, just wanted to kind of know more about family history, medical stuff. And this was in like the early nineties. So she hired a, a PI to actually go find them. She found them and, uh, the, and her biological mom said, I would love to meet you. And so she went and she met, uh, who's now Grammy and they just like, like, threw their arms wide open and just accepted them into the family. Um, and Pancho was always who impressed me the most in that because that's not, you know, that's not even, he didn't even know about this child before. It was like this huge revelation thing. And he ended up like, you know, paying for some of Chelsea's college and like just this incredible guy. Um, and he passed away like a couple of years ago. And I just remember like sitting at that funeral, thinking about the fact that hey, like he owned pharmacies and then he was in like real estate or something but there was not a single person there that talked about what a good pharmacist he was <laughs> or like or how successful he was in his business any of it but the place was bursting at the seams with people and everyone was just electric and it was all because like all the stories that were being shared were just of i uh, was in this situation and here's where you know poncho helped me or, or here's where uh, he introduced me to this person who became my business partner you know all these incredible stories these people who are going up and sort of taking the mic and sharing. Um, and I just left there kind of shocked going like, that's a good life. Right. Like a, a lot, good life is measured. A lot of love. What a lot of love. <clears throat> right. What you're pouring into others. And, uh, and a lot of those people were significantly younger than Pasha, you know, like my mm-hmm. age and were coming up and saying, you know, he mentored me, he did this. And I think that's where that kind of, have you lived well? Are you living with purpose? Are you living in service? And that's like it's it's pouring into exactly, and that's and that's why I think when we were talking about this treatment dichotomy where we have older among younger, that that's the kind of stuff that should be encouraged. I think you know, and um, because I think it is a real opportunity for people to develop this concept of service. You know, and because maybe they haven't been parented that well. You know, maybe they haven't been given that that direction, that perspective in right. their upbringing, and 
What? Well, I'd argue that a lot of the people who are there likely were, right? And I that's think that's what the I'm case thinking. with 90% of us who were in treatment before. That's what I'm <laughs> thinking. Kind of it's like, principle, may, right? yeah. you know, maybe we could instill some, and I think that's, you know, what, what certainly what I try to do with the, the doing the spiritual work mm. is instill, instilling some kind of sense of value, some internal, um, you know, gauge, a guide, you know, if you will. Mm. And, and I think that's, you know, where it comes back to the values that we, we that we talk you know, and I think the, the the title of the reading by Jack Cornfield is "Did I Love Well?" And I, it, mm. to me, I think it's a question that we can all ask ourselves. But I think we have to mm. make sure that we include us in it too. Mm. That's beautiful. So not just did I love other people well, did I give it all away, but yeah, did I actually love myself? And and well, is that is that reflected crazy. in my in my behavior? Because otherwise, me just going out and loving other people can be can be transactional. If I if I'm yeah, if absolutely, I absolutely because I'm getting good marks for this yeah, or if, I'm I feel better you know if I, yeah if I can't bring that to myself um, maybe it lacks some genuineness you know and I think that's that's I think that's important for all of us to look at you know that he talked about did I love well did I learn to let go and I think to me I think that's one of the most powerful statements in that reading is, is that, um, what are we hanging on to? Yeah. Cause you're right. I think, I think the definition of codependency could be like, if we haven't loved ourselves, but we're just giving all of our love. Exactly. Right? Like that's, that's a codependent relationship because mm -hmm. all you're doing is I need this so that I can have the satisfaction mm -hmm. of giving my love away. <laughs> right. But if we're not turning that on ourselves, then yeah, all of our, relationships are going to seem frantic and desperate and out of alignment because we're not doing that to us. And I, and I think if we look at it in terms of letting go, am I letting go of, of this, this, the stories I tell myself about who I am and who I'm not? Because, because yeah. if I keep dragging those stories around, I'm not, my love is, is kind of shallow because I don't feel that good about me. Right. And I think also like there's this element of that, like, like for the older generation or the younger generation that you're talking about, uh, what's the story that I'm telling myself mm -hmm. here? Is it that this this older person has nothing to say to me or this younger person has nothing to say to me? Or is it that like, oh, wait a minute, there might be something, something I could learn. Yeah, maybe they have something. Maybe there's a new story. Yeah, maybe there's right. maybe they have something to offer, you know, or. But I think it goes the other way too. Maybe this young adult has something that they can offer you. Maybe, maybe by you asking them for help with something that you're struggling with, with computer technology or whatever, that you you can instill within them some some sense of um, some honor that they have knowledge that you don't have. Yeah, and I think if nothing else. Whenever I, whenever I spend time with someone who's younger than me, significantly younger than me, I have the ability to kind of remind myself where I was then, you know, like, and, and not in like a flattering way, but remind myself like, wow, man, when I was 20, what a crazy mess I was, right? But like, without even knowing it, and then I can just kind of, when I'm with someone there, even if they they might have their life completely together, but I can still remember 
who I was then. And that's a helpful reminder for us, right. right? When we spend time with people, we can go, oh, man, yeah, wow, and, we've got a lot of life. And I think, <laughs> you know, I, I read a book. I can't remember who the author was. It was a long time ago. And the, the whole book was about blessing. It was all about blessing. And, and they talked about, about if you're an older person and you get up across and you walk across the room to somebody who's younger and tell them that they're really doing a good job. Or I really like what you said. Or it's good to see you here. And I'm glad you're here. That kind of stuff can go a long way. I think we don't really realize the power that we have to heal each other. 